I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. This month's single-serving selection, Zardoz. So, Casey, I think this movie might end in the world's first consensual mass shooting? Uh, Guns don't kill people. Penises do. Okay? Yes. (laughs) We are talking about, from the year 1974, Zardoz, written and directed by John Borman, who also directed Hell in the Pacific, Deliverance, Exorcist II, The Heretic, and Excalibur. Yeah. And Point Blank. Did he do Point Blank? Yeah, I think so. So, Casey, mm-hmm. this may be a bit to ask, but uh, if you had to sum this movie up in a paragraph or two, what is Zardoz all about? In a far-off future Earth, Zed the Exterminator, played by Sean Connery in a large orange diaper, leads a thug, a gang of <laughs> post-apocalyptic thugs, takes a ride on a magical stone godhead, and finds himself on the other side of the vortex. He meets his makers, the Eternals, these young and beautiful hippie types. They subdue him and proceed to attempt to extract from him memories, blood, saliva, and semen, while and plaintively watch while he has an erection. Then Zed figures out the weakness behind the technology of the superior species, and then slowly begins to fuck their whole world up. And that's the end. That was extremely concise, and I'm impressed. <laughs> I am impressed. So you may hear him already, but joining us in this conversation to dissect a very, very strange movie, returning guest, friend of the show, and co-host of the Dearly Missed View from the Gutters comic book podcast, Mr. Joe Peretti. Welcome back, Joe. Hey, Joe. Thank you for having me. I'm, I, I normally don't talk uh, before introduction, but I just couldn't. <laughs> what the? <laughs> yeah, you know, I I had never watched Zardoz before, so it was. Oh, I'd really? I was going to ask that. I'd, I'd only seen bits and pieces as kind of an artifact, right. so I I was I was glad that you guys asked me to do it because you I can think tell this is the spot. kind of movie that people will like put on in the background of a party. Yes, and then after the first ten minutes, people are like just kind of wandering off and not paying attention. You to come it. back in, you see some nonsensical thing happening on a screen. You go oh, okay. And then you you leave, and then you come back out, and another nonsensical thing is happening. So I got to ask you, Joe, what do you think of Zardoz? Okay, so uh, uh, I think Zardoz is a bad movie. I don't that I don't think that means that it's not. I think some parts of it are entertaining. I uh, I think that it is kind of a jumbled mess that doesn't. From what I was reading, this was like a dream he had. Like, Borman had had a dream, and he woke up, and he was like, oh, I got to tell this story. And I'm like, well, that's that's fine. It does feel very dreamlike, but it does not feel like that is the point. <laughs> it is fantastic to see. So at multiple times uh, during this movie, I found myself asking, is Sean Connery a good actor? Is he a great <laughs> actor? Is he just a good actor? He's good here. Here I'm buying it. There is a refreshing kind of lack, and I by no means mean none, but in a movie of this type from this time period, not as much sexual assault as I thought there would be. (laughs) 
Uh, really? Rest assured, there is some. Really, there yes. is definitely some. We're yeah. not. It's it's a non-zero number of sexual assaults. I don't know. This movie's a trip. It it really is, and it's clearly trying to get at something. It clearly wants to make a statement. It clearly wants to be. It very much wants to be art house cinema. I think. But it just can't be. It just never breaks the bonds to actually get any kind of lift off. And I feel like some movies um, are just able to kind of achieve that lift off and they bring you with them. And you're like, wow, that's I think um, we for your birthday last year, we watched uh, on this on the Silver Globe, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a movie which is uh, could be described as just a bunch of kind of. <laughs> visual things happening like things keep happening right but i think that is a movie that does achieve liftoff and you're either going with it or you're not i don't think this movie ever really achieves liftoff i don't think i I can't disagree with you more (laughs) really you think you think it does i don't know it's not a it's not it's not a like a fantastic it's not a hidden masterpiece it's like peak 70s trash cinema yeah i I I agree with yes yes and it's that it's that weird thing of it being a this is kind of a subgenre. I mean, I think we all like '70s sci-fi movies. You know, very much got in the Charlton Heston and whatever. And you I know, think Mega Man. Yeah, we all Silent like, Running, like that kind of shit. Very issues based. Usually, very pessimistic. Right, and yes. this is definitely pessimistic for sure. I think what I think the thing that separates this is for one is that it's a British sci-fi movie. And right. So you know, there's there's a long history of British sci-fi movies and. They generally aren't f- done very expensively. <laughs> they, they're usually find an excuse to uh, film at a rural manor house somewhere because it's easy and they can find them. It looks like it's you in know? the Scottish Highlands or something. Right. There's a it's lot in of Ireland. Ireland. It was right next to where John Borman lived, I think. Oh, right. So his backyard. Was, yeah, just in his backyard. So sort of the M. Night Shyamalan move, you know, kind, you're, yeah, you can commute yeah. to the, the film set. But yeah, a lot of rolling hills, a lot of old English manners with things futuristic just kind of attached to them. Right, which was a lot of plastic in the late 70s. <laughs> yeah, it's like these, these strange sort of like beach ball bouncy castles attached to these like actual castles. Yeah, yeah. But the thing I kind of got is it does, like you mentioned, it draws on that sort of very idiosyncratic pre-Star Wars science fiction about this character from the post-apocalypse getting pulled into this hidden domed city of the immortals of people who have survived the apocalypse are hoarding all of the art and history and culture and has this kind of weird crystal-based technology and they all dress like they're in the age of Aquarius and they think of themselves as being above the brutals of the Outlands. The thing that's so bizarre about this is the the gang of, of murderers and rapists that Zed, the Sean Connery character, leads is deliberately created by the immortals to manipulate the events outside of their hidden city. But they're then just the, it, they're just taking out the trash, right? But it, yeah. but the, and then it turns. Well, okay, go ahead, go ahead. I, I mean, you you basically they this guy Arthur Frayne, who this movie opens with in one of the strangest little <laughs> prologues, apparently added by the studio because they thought people would be confused. Can't imagine why they would think I, that. I think I think when you get the character that close to the camera and you see that his goatee is drawn in with a magic marker, I think you probably could have chosen. So Arthur Frayne, who's kind of a background character, but sort of like the prime mover character in this movie, is kind of this strange immortal theater kid who has been put in charge of the post-apocalyptic world we later find out and to 
exercise that control, he has constructed a giant stone floating head, a false primitive god that flies around, has created a death cult to cull the peoples of the world so that he can perfectly breed a gang of mutants that in his goal, and this is as far as I can figure out, he is like, it's a genetics program to breed his own murderer, that these are people that live eternal lives, but they have become bored. They have become kind of casually cruel. All they do is have bougie dinner parties and accuse each other of thought crime. <laughs> and yeah, did not of, expect thought crime in this movie. <laughs> and eat weird green bread. And it's like the society run by the worst kind of hippie homeowners association. <laughs> Such a, can I just, can we talk about the green bread for a minute? And what a fucking pastiche of like 70s sci-fi cinema. That, it's like, we can't just have normal bread. It's right. It's got to be crazy looking because it's future bread. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why the fuck would the bread be green just because it's the future, right? It's like, got something special in it. It's got that's the flavoring. <laughs> it's it's the right, it's, it's the like vitamins. Cool Ranch. It's like that's Cool Ranch. It's cool Ranch baguette. bread. Yeah. So uh, the first thing you see in this movie is Arthur Frayne, the guy with a, a drawn-on goatee. Yes. Very who, vaudeville. He, looks like the Sphinx. He yeah, he has that sort of Sphinx like head covering. He looks like a merchant from a Renaissance festival. <laughs> So do a lot of these people, but much more scantily clad than most Renaissance festivals. And he sort of gives this sort of prologue moment that he's explaining to you that this is a cautionary tale of things that have not yet occurred, but may. And you not end as I, you know, that sort of stuff. (laughs) And when I look at this as a cautionary tale, I'm left asking myself, cautionary of what well because is this a question of (laughs) it's wrong for us to try to create a future society where we overcome death and disease and have a life outside of suffering is it a cautionary tale because this is about a tiny rich elite that have closed themselves off from the world and hoarded things but continue to exploit the poor people in the burning world outside or i don't know what this is or see i do have an answer for that because the culmination of this movie, after Sean Connery has had an orgy, we're just going to skip to the ending here. After Sean Connery has had an orgy. That looks like an then, opening credits for a the, James Bond movie. It does. It absolutely does. <laughs> and they have given them the sum total of all of their culture's knowledge via osmosis. And so he has now some kind of super genius. And in return, what does he give them? He gives them his baby batter, baby. Semen. Yes, they want he his semen. He impregnates them. Uh, the old-fashioned way. That's all that they want from him is fluids. Yes, because they haven't, they can't get erections anymore in this culture. But like he's when he goes to the founder, that guy specifically says because the whole twist of this movie is we violated nature's laws and she had to fight against us, and so the whole culmination of this movie, or at least my take on it, was. Yeah, Arthur thought he was doing it, but really it was just the net. It was actually the tab, like the forces that the tabernacle was in conflict with of the nature. That's what it was. Nature had kind of put this ball in motion. They had sown the seeds of their own destruction from the beginning. I'm confused. Is he like a Kwisatz Haderach in the fact that he, that. He yes, his mother and father were selected for breeding or whatever. Is he like this Quizass Hatterock that was like, oh, that's part of this big plan, or is he like the mutant gene that happens and that creates the super shit that fucks everything up? Like, I think the, the answer, virus. I know. think the answer to both is is yes. I think so, yeah. I think the I answer. Think, 
I think we have to take a step further even back because I can only imagine what this conversation sounds like to somebody who hasn't seen this movie. Oh my God. So, you should just not be listening to this if you haven't seen the movie because it's going to be nonsensical to you. It's only barely sensical to me and I just watched the fucking movie. So this one of the opening scenes of this movie is... Uh, Zardoz, the titular Zardoz, a floating stone head that I can only describe as looking like vampire Karl Marx. It looks like <laughs> something out of a video game. Yeah, it's out of a Castlevania game. It's angry floating stone head, slow gliding towards this group of, of angry death cultists that worship Zardoz on a hill. And Zardoz speaks down to his chosen people, tells them the gun is good. The penis is the evil penis is because the penis creates life. Which is a nice little contrast with another scene that's very similar, which is the scene in Full Metal Alchemist where they're conflating their guns with their penises. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I like that. Then this giant stone head starts literally vomiting out guns and ammunition and calls upon his followers to kill Go out and kill. <laughs> so one of the problems, I, not a problem. One of the things about this movie is that if you've played Super Mario Odyssey, you know that the bad guys in Super Mario Odyssey are the Brutals. The Brutals. B-R-O-O-D-A-L-S, because they're yeah. rabbits. And so every time they would talk about the Brutals, I was like, those fucking rabbits in this movie? <laughs> How's Sean Connery going to beat them? I don't see him having any kind of jumping abilities. <laughs> So Sean Connery's character hitches a ride on this stone head. He figures out at one point that this this god that he worships is actually a spaceship flown by the man with the marker on goatee and hitches a ride to the city of the immortals and dismantles their entire civilization over the course of the next but, I mean, hour. And, but I think the, the contrast between them is what's interesting is, yes, this is basically filmed some in the UK, in the greater UK, the Brutals live on the beach. <laughs> it's just sort of like, it's a sandy area. And the the Eternals live in like a manor house, like a country. It sounds like we're nice explaining the plot house. to Barbie now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it is very, um, because it, it refers back to itself, right? Like he figures it out because Arthur Frayne appears to him during a raid, right? Where he's chasing, the exterminators are chasing Brutals. Mm -hmm. And... He shoots at Arthur Frayne and he goes to investigate and Arthur Frayne gives him a book and he reads the book and then the book is yeah. the Wizard of Oz. Well, that's the final and, book. Right. The, the thing first is, book is, no, he, teaches he teaches him how to read. read yes. Yeah, he teaches yeah. him how to read. So Connery goes into this building he's probably never been in before and it's a library and- over the course of reading all of these books, he starts to learn about the world that existed before whatever World War III, whatever slow decline happened. And what I love is he refers to this as his loss of innocence, that before this, he was simply a murderer who killed people because they weren't allowed to breed. Only the exterminators are allowed to breed. And, you know, I mean, take a look. It's in a book, Reading Rainbow. <laughs> but I mean, it's... But the, the the explanation of the plot, the idea of him finding out the truth, and this was Arthur Frayne's goal all along, was to teach him to read. Um, he's already bred this superior being who's stronger, faster, smarter, and then gives him knowledge and leads him along the path to read the book that will break his understanding of the universe. Right. And the understanding is, of course, the book The Wizard of Oz. And then he realizes by putting his thumbs over two parts of the cover – 
Zardoz. Zardoz. And oh my God! As he said, it's a children. I actually really love this reveal so much because it's this. I I really do love this. He says it's a fairy story about an old man who hides behind a loud voice and a large mask. And it, yeah, yeah. I think it's better. It's done in a better way than you would think after like watching this movie up until that point. You're like, that's actually kind of subtle. They save it for like almost an hour into the movie. They that's don't... the second act reveal actually. Yeah. yeah. And it's the realization that him coming to this place wasn't him accidentally hitching along like a dumb monkey. He went there premeditated. Not only that, he talked to the rest of the other exterminators because their lives were changing also. And they were angry. They're not just going out and killing and raping anymore. They're being told to enslave people and grow wheat to feed the people who live in this domed city. And they just don't know that that domed city exists. They're just giving it to Zardoz in his mouth. So they intentionally hitch him along to help him well, sneak but, the other guys in. But I think that's, that's kind of a thing where it's like, all right, so I get the whole thing where Zed is kind of the ubermensch, right? Mm -hmm. Zed is the, the thing that will free them. From this, this Spartacus, right? Yes, yeah. yes. He is the thing that will bring the system tumbling down around their ears. But I don't, the whole thing with the, oh, now you're going to start having slaves. Now you're going to start planting wheat. That makes no sense to me because that seems to exist outside of their other plans. I and know, I guess it's just a sloppy allegory for colonialism. But when I, I get to the core of this movie, it is Sean Connery in like little red trunks with thigh high boots. And he's got a bandoliers. He's got this like, got this like cowboy mustache and a long braided ponytail. This is an iconic look. It is shocking how many times I have seen cosplay for this movie. Um, yeah. For specifically that look. And that's the way the exterminators dress that plus this mask, which is like a miniature version of the Zardoz head. It reminds me a lot of the masks you find in Elden Ring in the um, Rhea Lucaria Academy for anybody that played that game. You can imagine what the mask looks like. But this is like Sean Connery. Sean Connery is like the ultimate image of, you know, early 1970s yes. masculinity. Yes. He's a very hairy man. He's a very in-shape man. He is very bestial. Yeah. And he's that's the thing that's very different. He has a he has a wealth of chest hair. Yes. And the the world <laughs> a vast expanse, one might say. That he's like this sexualized being who's plopped into the middle of this group of people that while scantily clad have forgotten what sex is. And they're basically like, everyone essentially has a two small vest that has one button holding it together <laughs> to prevent the seeing of nipples, but everything else is pretty much there for you to see, yet nobody wants to fuck. And again, when you, when you inject then this virile masculine man into a world where Everyone is bored. Everyone doesn't feel things anymore. Nobody has sexualized feelings anymore. And the men are all coded as very effeminate. It begins to start to feel, and it starts to, both in the production design and everything, like the beginning of a science fiction pornographic movie. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, it it absolutely. I was, so apparently, so, you know, I read the, the, the trivia, and who knows how much of that is to be believed, but apparently... There was a big problem with nudity and, and Borman getting people to do the nude scenes because I was actually surprised. I was like, I thought there were going to be, I thought there was going to be Bush all over this thing. I, men and women, I just kind of, ex I was surprised that it was 
topless and a lot of the nudity in this is kind of not sexual yeah it's just very i actually think the movie is very successful in that and that most of their interactions don't feel titillating yeah there's there's really very little titillation and like this movie is successful in certain things i think once he gets to the eternal city there's clearly there should be intrigue happening that's kind of not, it's kind of replaced with this weird kind of 70s sci-fi exposition. There, there, yeah, there is intrigue that's happening. And the intrigue that's happening is, of course, like between May, who's the scientist who sees him as someone to study, right? So he's, is the May says like, there's, this is weird that this creature would come into, we need to understand what this, what this is because obviously that she has a scientific curiosity and a like an, an attraction just like the, everyone wants to fuck him all, the men want to fuck him all the women want to fuck him I mean yeah that's what I talk about it feels like the beginning of a porno movie where you have a city full of scantily fed people who have forgotten how to fuck yet they vaguely want to and into their midst comes this virile hairy man who can achieve an erection and they even put him in front of their symposium to see what kind of stimuli on the screen will give him a boner. <laughs> and it's like, you keep waiting for the moment that this becomes a porno and then it never does. Wait, actually, but I think we're also describing something else. We're describing a Sean Connery movie where he is the only man that can get the job done. He beds the woman that does not want him initially and a few others. Right. And he succeeds and then basically gets the happy ending. This is just a dystopian James Bond movie. <laughs> this is just James Bond through the lens of 70s sci-fi. <laughs> I mean, like... I, I appreciate the titillation for titillation's sake thing that a lot of movies in this era go for. There's, there's like, breasts, basically. And there might even be some... Might, might even be some Sean Connery penis, maybe. I don't. I can't it. remember because I I was I was keeping an eye out for it. I don't even think you get any buns. But it does feel a bit like if you told a bunch of new age theater kids to make a a science fiction pornographic movie, and this is their interpretation of that, where this crazy crystal based kind of Carlos Castaneda type spiritual technology and people ascending to levels through meditation and dressing like hippies. And even the sex scenes are almost like, it's like they're, they're vaguely touching him while images of classical art and music right. and other languages are projected <laughs> right. over him and, and math equations. Con contrasted with something like Barbarella, which is a super titillating, super right. sexual movie, right. which is all and which is like you see her having pretty graphic orgasms more than once. This is very sterile by contrast. Right. This is kind of, in a weird sort of way, very Planet of the Apes, where when he falls into their midst, they immediately capture him using their mental powers, and he becomes kind of their pet monster that they turn into a servant, and he's kept in a cage, so it's like Planet of the Apes, except everyone vaguely kind of wants to fuck him, but doesn't know how. <laughs> so I think we've reached the point in our discussion where we now, to continue our discussion, must meditate at second level. Yeah. No, I will not <laughs> join you on second level! Oh my god. So th there's this continuous continuing problem of people who are punished for bringing the vibe down yeah <laughs> it is Seriously. I, yeah vibe police don't be don't be a fucking bummer man why are you bringing that why? negative shit into second level oh meditation man and i think that is really artfully done that's that's some of my favorite stuff where this this kind of ex this uh exposition is happening and you're they're going to see the renegades and the 
why am I spacing the on the apathetics? word? The apathetics. The apathetics. Yeah. And like, as that's happening, you're seeing this trial oh, happen. Trial. And did you, did you catch what happens at the end? He when he the, when the mask comes off for the guy who's being uh, I hate this. Judged, I hate myself. He's, he's like he's like I hate like fertility. I hate childbirth. He's basically just like an internet incel. Yeah. He's like <laughs> I'm sick and tired of pretending anymore. I just hate women. Yeah, <laughs> that's and his, he just that's his defense. Yeah, he, <laughs> I notice when they are punished, their punishment. You know, they're not allowed to die because they are in a city of the immortals. If they do die by violence, they're recreated as a little embryo that's like shrink wrapped and they grow to full size again. So they're never allowed to really die, uh, but they can be forcibly aged. Aged, yes. And the thing is, even the people who are aged to the maximum amount through punishment after punishment, it's like, oh, you brought down the vibe at the meeting, so we're going to give you six months aging, is that they are shipped off as these weird, immortal, senile people. And right. what seems to be kind of this open air, like, like, memory care facility for people who are just acting weird but it's, and like, it's, like a perpe- it's a perpetual new year's eve party yeah, yeah they're, yes. they're all wearing <laughs> they're dressed in the clothes of like yesteryear and There's they like are kind of reveling music. yes but then but it's it, like these raggedy like tuxedos that nobody outside of that that place Wears a tuxedo. No. Everyone else is dressed like weird cod pieces and flowing fabrics. Very, it's ve- the costume design in this is very like mid to late seventies. But yeah, that's that that kind of vibe. But where we have this vision of the future was always a projection of the present day, and the yeah. idea that whatever the styles and the the views of of today are going to last forever, and it will never look dated. It's just going to be extrapolations of sort of the sort of late 60s, early 70s hippie culture, that is going to last forever, except these people are completely hairless and <laughs> never have sex, despite the fact that they wear very little and walk yeah, around. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's very strange because it I, I can sense the ambition of this movie. There is, and that's, that's kind of what I was driving at. It's like, I didn't not enjoy this movie i don't think it's a good movie by any stretch but i do think that there is some interesting stuff the thing i like about it is that this i found this movie to be almost entirely without pretense this movie is not pretending to be something it's very genuine and honest in what it's trying to do i just don't think enough of it is there and that's what i mean when i say it never really achieves liftoff it's clearly driving at something and i think when it is hitting those points like the trial and there's a few other things. I think the scene at the end in the tabernacle. I think that's really interesting stuff. I think it's good filmmaking. It's just, it's the stuff like these kind of jabs at colonialism, these jabs at the class struggle, where it's like, that to me is not as fully formed as it should be. And it does kind of collapse into this kind of general, like man versus nature kind of thing, which to me is a little less interesting. And I wish that he had done a little bit more with the classism, done a little bit more with the colonialism, done a little bit more that the Eternals, the shit they did was like straight up evil. And I think he gets at that. There are scenes with them gardening. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I would fully live in the vortex 100%. The earth is still green. 
There's still lakes and water. Sure, I mean, there's fucking assholes who love guns are out there, like on the beach. Yeah, but they can't get they're in. Ki- they're killing other people. Fuck those guys. I want to live as an eternal hippie. And if I don't like, if I don't like them, I can just go live with the apathetics and do nothing. You're like the opposite of the Little Mermaid. You want to live where the people aren't. <laughs> I'm totally okay with this society, by the way. <laughs> better than we have right now. No, no. <laughs> so that's green bread. No, no sex. I mean, right there, it's like... You can't even be grumpy one day. Yeah, I can't even... God damn. There's no constraint. I would be 1,000 years old in this society. (laughs) I would be three feet tall. I would look like fucking Yoda in this society. Oh, Joe, did they... Joe, again? Yeah. What did he do this time? I told like three people to go fuck themselves. (laughs) So this movie is, is strange in the sense that it takes place in the year 2293. And the the immortals themselves talk about themselves as if they're 300 years old. So they're 90s kids, and only 90s kids remember the tabernacle. <laughs> but the the part that I find so strange about this movie is it wouldn't be that hard to have this take place in like a Dune timeline that's like 10,000 right. years in the future, right. Right. or something like you know the time machine where they're going 800,000 years into the future, where you could really paint the picture of a bunch of people that have been stuck in the same life at the same age forever, because I don't believe 300 years is long enough to become this board of life. Right. I, I really don't think that. And maybe we've had this conversation about, you know, whether you would choose immortality. Um, I would, I would take immortality if it was offered to me. And because here's the thing I think would save you one. I suspect your perception of time would probably change if you, I don't know, took a pill and became an immortal person or the tabernacle made you immortal. But I think it would be really long time before you ran out of stuff to do. You know, when you play like a game like Skyrim and you go through and you've played all the quest lines, I'm now the head of the, the mercenary guild and I'm the head of the assassins <laughs> guild and I'm the head of the, the magic college, college yeah, and I'm a I... general in the army and I'm also a werewolf and I've saved the world <laughs> from a dragon. Somehow, yeah. Yeah. So you've done everything and you've done all the side quests and there comes this point where you're just kind of done. And that's when you stop playing the game. I think it would in real life take fucking forever to do so many things. Well, yeah. This is the thing that the, the one piece that they added to this that I didn't catch the last time I saw it, the time before I saw it is that he Zed asks them about their technology and I think it's friend says, oh, this is a spaceship. We tried going to the stars, but there was nothing there. It was like, just it was another waste. dead end. Yeah, just, yeah, just a waste just of another time. Dead end. I was like, it needs to be more than 300 years. Yeah. <laughs> but then I was, I, I agree with you there. But I also think, Mike, you're you're not taking into account the fact that this is, they have to stay within this very limited space. Mm-hmm. They don't fuck. They're eating green bread all the time. Yeah. And they can't even think mean about people they clearly you dislike. You keep talking about the green bread like it's something bad, Listen, Joe, and I have to I'm oppose t- you. You know what? The green the- bread tastes like Cool Ranch Doritos, it does, but and even, it's delicious. Even Cool Ranch Doritos would get boring after 300 fucking years. Yeah, but I mean, just the, the act of being an immortal, and period. And also, they all kiss it. <laughs> yes, they do These kiss are the it. same they do 25 kiss people kissing the same green bread that you've had tens of thousands of 
times before. You can't beat off. You can't yell at people. You can't flip anybody the bird. Fuck this. This is all the worst parts of immortality. This is why being a vampire would be cool because you can do all of that shit. <laughs> this is like, they were like, vampires are cool, but we want to get rid of all the fun shit about being a vampire. Yeah. Like, yeah. I look at this and I just go, okay, 300 years. What would you do if you had an unlimited lifespan? You could just go, you know what? I am going to spend the next 50 years doing nothing but playing the trombone. <laughs> I'm going to be amazing at that. And the thing is, after a while, you would get bored with it, but you'd be really good. And you're like, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. And then at the age 205. I mean, you're describing you become, Groundhog's Day. <laughs> yeah. You, you Then you just say, you know what? I'm, again, like Groundhog Day, I'm going to become a, a sculptor with a chainsaw. And then I'm going to learn how to yodel. And then I'm going to play the piano. And the thing is, by the time you do the 10th or 9th thing that would have taken a lifetime to master for anyone else, You've probably forgotten how to play the trombone. You've probably forgotten yeah. how to be a doctor. And then you can do an amazing thing, which is learn how to do it all over again in probably a different way. Well, I have a question for you, though. Just real quick, and I'm not trying to call anybody out here, all right? Because I will be the first person to admit that I have this particular problem. How many things do you want to get into right now? Like, how many hobbies are you like, I should really do this more. I really want to do this more. Well... I'm all, uh, not that many because I know that it just isn't worth the time. Well, but that's the, that's the thing is that I don't think having more time, like I want to, one of the things I've been talking to Kirby about is in the new year is like, I want to make a better schedule for myself. So I'm not just getting off of work and playing video games. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, I also know like Kirby got me a synthesizer for my birthday and I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn how to play it. But I'm like, are you? Not unless you actually make time for it. Mm -hmm. I know myself well enough to know that, like, I wouldn't learn how to play the trombone. I would play it for a couple of weeks, and then I would just go off to do what I normally do. You'd spend do. the next thousand years at the beach? <laughs> no, I, I hate the beach. <laughs> okay. I hate the beach. But I also don't... I think the, the thing is, I think 300 years is... I think about how exhausted I am at 46, and I think, okay, this is... Almost like eight times as long. Nah, I'm good. I'm good, dog. <laughs> you can. I'll, that's a no for me, because I just think that yes, if you could travel the world or even the stars, right? If there was places to go and people to meet, and you could new, learn new languages and eat new food and have varied experiences, then yeah, immortality is great. But you can't. You're stuck with the same 30 assholes that you've known for 300 years that always do this, that are always up to the same stupid shit that you hate. And if you get mad at them, you get aged. But that's the that's the problem is not the lifespan, but it's the, the boxed in part. Right. And I yeah. think what you get with the boxed in part is essentially the second half of Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Whereas you look at all this amazing shit I've got. But I only have three other people for the rest of my fucking life, and I can't leave. So if the third act reveal in this movie is zombies, how much better or worse does this movie become? <laughs> I mean, they kind of are zombies yeah, they, in this yeah, movie. Yeah, the apathetics, I think there's like a certain breed of, of eternal in this movie who just turns off and stares off into space and you can just like lift their arm or shove them around or in one case it gets really dense close to the uncomfortable uh, really, place sexual assaulty yes. yeah um but I, then once she gets a taste of his sweat she like wakes up a little bit but it's like that taste of life that's something and i think that's the problem is it's not necessarily that you have forever it's the fact that there's nothing new 
Well, and the minute, this is the funny thing to me, is the minute, because the whole third act of this movie is basically Consuelo, played by Charlotte Rampling, is- Also one of the most beautiful human beings Oh, ever yeah, made. no, uh, unbelievably. S- still incredibly beautiful oh, yeah. for a woman in her 70s. Yeah, no, absolutely incredible. Uh, she- they basically devolve into a bunch of exterminators where they are chasing him around right. and trying to murder him. The apathetics have tasted of his sweat. Um, also, this movie gets props for having dudes kiss. This, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that they they clearly, the gender divine has clearly been broken yep. down. It doesn't matter. Yep. It starts out predictable that somebody uh, gets a taste of his sweat and then wakes up a little bit. Then she kisses Sean Connery. Yep. Then she kisses a lady. Expected in this movie. Right. Then that kisses another lady who kisses a dude who kisses another, another dude. And I was like, all right. Yeah, right on. Fair enough. All right. We're, cool. we're going places but here. But then it's it's that taste of, because the whole thing is like he has like the vital life force, right? Yeah. We see this in the fact that his sweat, his bodily fluids bring back the apathetics, right? Like his his seed allows for the 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 procreation with May and her her disciples, right? Like his very being there brings a vital life force to this culture that is stagnated and is bored and is played out. And and not only does does um, Charlotte Rampling and that group turn into a, like a lynch mob, and again they're riding on horses with torches, exactly yes. like the <laughs> yes. exterminator. I'm like, when did this become a civil war movie? And but then a lot of the apathetics just start fucking each other. Yeah, that's, that's right. But then I think like every like the renegades are running around. They're doing all kinds of crazy shit. The apathetics are fucking each other. I think the, the I think the Eternals actually. There's the core group. Oh yeah, they start trying like, to lynch too. They're apathetics like, are starting to fuck uh, Eternals, and like there's the barriers are breaking down. And then Charlotte like Consuela which is not the best name choice for that character, walks in on Sean Connery, who's now lord of his own domain, master of his domain, the most smart man on the planet. And she goes to stab him, and he's like, yeah, you're not going to do that shit. And then she's like, no, I'm actually in love with you. And I'm like, another James Bond moment <laughs> yeah. in this fucking movie. It's the power of his rugged masculinity. It's, it's, it <laughs> makes zero sense. There's parts of this movie that really feel like that it just makes you think, man, kind of way that like really inspired, like drug addled college, like theater majors yes, yes. are like, I'm going to tell all the stories all at once with all the emotions. And it's going to be. <laughs> and this is kind of my problem with it is that it isn't quite drug addled enough. It is. It still has too much plot to be like an art house this, movie. This is true. But if you look at the the third act, which is the third, which is basically like everything's breaking down. People are trying to get what they can out of Zed before the order comes down. Consuela has started a lynch mob. Everyone's breaking out. There are some montages of like him being hunted down that are clearly like trip out moments. They're clearly oh, just yes, like you've yes. got like you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger. You have Sean Connery and yeah, a maze, really maze of mirrors with a gun. You know, like wow wow. And all this the the soundtrack's going like wow 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 wow. I was I, I was There's watching so that part that. and I was like, oh, it's crazy that this is happening on Mr. Han's Island from yes. Enter the Dragon. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that, that they were connected, it's right? Furry claw. But like, there's the moment where they're trying to break into friends' like domicile and the as the the battering ram hits the mirror and it shatters and it freeze frames and consuelas like there's some great framing in this there's some really cool shots in this movie but yeah like the thing is it wants so badly to have that like 
tripped out thing, but it right. can't separate itself from the kind of this grand narrative. It's I don't trying think to have. I don't think that's the kind of director John Borman is. I I think he's the wrong. I think he's the wrong. If he was trying to make like a thing in the in the vein of a uh, easy writer or something, where it being like, you know, what I want to have this um, be a message movie, and I want the main characters to be kids because I want to talk about what's happening now, that sort of thing. I think John Borman's in the wrong generation oh, yeah, no, to be he telling that story. Is. He absolutely is. He doesn't. He 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 does make what you think, as Mike says, is going to be like a sci-fi hippie orgy, which doesn't. That's not what it ends up being. And I also don't think he knows what he wants to say about it. And that's exactly like because by yes. the end, like uh, by the end, uh, Zed has evolved in such that if as long as people stay in his aura, he can like reverse time and stuff. And you're just like, where did the fuck did this? That's come what I mean. Yeah, is that yeah, there's there's, there's yeah. parts of us that feel like it's both trying to be a science fiction movie about ideas, but then there's this weird kind of like strange hippie new age bullshit where we're just going to pretend that the sort of crystal healing crazy stuff is also high technology that it all intersects. And you're like, I don't know what it is. If this is the supernatural, if he has mental powers, is this because he conquered the tabernacle? And it's like, it wants to be all of these things so desperately all at once. And I think what, what grabs me in this movie is it's ambition, but it's enthusiasm for all of the half-form ideas that it has. Yes, and it, that's, yes. It and never is just fucking around or just doing things because it's copying anyone else. It's desperately bursting at the seams to say something, but it trips over itself so much that it never manages to say any of it really coherently, but all of it is fascinating to look at. It, and that's, that is, it, I think this movie has... I, I think that's the charm of this movie. I think this is that's why it's a cult classic is because I it's genuine. It doesn't feel like he's trying to pretend. It doesn't feel like it feels like he is very invested in this narrative, even the parts of it that don't work. If he was trying, if he had tried to make something more European where you're getting much you know much more eastern where it feels much more liminal and much more like divorced from reality where there really isn't a solid narrative you are just kind of getting these images it would feel false to me mm-hmm. right because because he is not that like you know Excalibur is a great movie and it has great visuals but it is also a very concise narrative from beginning to end and i think that like that's the kind of director borman was and I think or is no he's gone he's 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 left us um and I think that that's kind of the the real conflict in this movie is the fact that it can't quite achieve one or the other now I don't I don't think when I say this is a bad movie I mean it kind of fails to make the point that I feel he's trying to make I don't think it's unenjoyable I think people especially people that are into film should watch this if only is this like really interesting cultural artifact but I think the interesting thing about this movie is the conflict between the narrative and the kind of spirit of the movie if you will because there are all these moments where I'm like oh that didn't happen the way I thought it would. Right. This is it also isn't like a Tommy Wiseau the Room or Miami Connection kind of. We found this incredible artifact that no one had 
um, that no one had known about, and it's so awesome because it's so bad. It isn't that. It isn't on that level, I think. No. Because no, there is a no. lot of actually genuinely interesting, weird there's, new ideas. There's actual skilled filmmaking yes. going on here. This yes. guy knows how to make a movie and put it together. The thing with those other movies is that it, they're made by people who don't know how to make movies, who somehow miraculously managed to finish one. <laughs> yeah. This actually does kind of remind me of the last movie we talked about, which was Hudson Hawk, where <laughs> it's like, yeah. that is another movie movie where these kind of magical realism move like moments are feel very out of place and put people kind of out of their you know did not allow people to kind of connect with the movie and get the buy-in that you would need for it and i think the same is true in in a, in a similar way with with zardas where i don't i think it does achieve a kind of momentum, but I don't necessarily know that it gets the buy-in it need for you to go with it completely because you keep asking questions like, here's a question. Why the fuck is friend only half aged? Yeah. But also, because they want to have the reveal where he turns around and is shockingly aged. Right? <laughs> so he's middle-aged on one half and really old really on the old other. other. So that, that makeup get... looks great. Yeah. But like, again, there is no explanation for this. And it just seems weird. He's got all the other trappings of the renegades, except that he's clearly only been aged on one half of his body. And then, like, I just feel like it's moments like that that are supposed to be. It's when this movie tries to be more trippy than it can really get to that I think that, like, it's kind of it just leaves you with, like, there's too much narrative there to kind of really ignore those moments when if it was much more of kind of a uh, a more art house feel where the narrative is less important, those moments, those surreal moments are kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll go along with that because clearly there's a greater statement being made here. It's like the, the inner conflict of this movie and the fact that it constantly surprises you with things that make no sense is part of its charm but it's also the thing that kind of tears it apart because it's trying to be both a psychedelic art film and it's trying to be a 1970s um like exploitation film with sex and violence and then it's trying to be this science fiction film that has all of these big ideas and tries to explore the human condition and a cautionary tale about a bad direction the human race could go but all of these things don't really work together they're not individually explored enough and there's moments where they bump up against each other both make no sense but also create some of the strangest and most memorable moments that i have ever seen in a movie period yeah and i can't it's again i think this movie would be hurt if it was more coherent Oh, agreed. I think this movie would be less memorable if it was more coherent. I think this movie would not be nearly as much fun to watch if it was more coherent. So let me ask you a question, though, Mike. If Zed were played by some actor who wasn't Sean Connery, who wasn't didn't have the Sean Connery physique and the charisma and the whatever, would we be thinking about this movie at all? Does it does it have to have someone like a What Sean if it Connery was Burt Reynolds? <laughs> yeah. You want to know something? Really? He was up for it. Yes. He was up. Oh, I, I was about to say that. I was like, oh my God. But yeah. I Burt wrote this down. I literally, in my notes, I was like, should I think Burt Reynolds and Sean Connery should have played brothers in a movie. At that some would, point. I would have watched the they would have looked very, very similar. I would have watched sort of rugged, hairy, mustachioed kind of masculinity. It's like a very laid back kind of macho guy sort of act tend to tend to be more soft spoken but there's like this sort of like sex that exudes from both of them i think the difference is that burt reynolds had kind of a slick 
charm to him. And Sean Connery was terrifying, yeah. right? Like he was good looking, but you, there was, he had an air of violence to him, which is why I think he made such a good bond, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you would see him and you're like, this is a violent man. Where you look at, you look at uh, Burt Reynolds and you're like, oh, that, that guy's cool. That guy's going to be, he's, he's the bandit. Did, did Burt right? Reynolds ever do a sci-fi movie? He did. Runaway. Oh, Runaway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, no, no. No, that was uh, Selleck. I think is that, that Tom Selleck? Yep. Yeah, no, it was Tom Selleck. Oh, I think you're right. He's, Damn it. He's like it's like a Blade Runner light. That kind of movie is about runaway with robots. the I'm, the spiders. Yeah. Oh my god. Now I have to. No, think. I don't think. See, I I, I just think Burt Reynolds, Reynolds was just not cut out for a sci-fi. He doesn't have the right vibe because he's too much of a rascal. Yeah, and yeah, I think, he is a rascal. I think it's kind of like he would break against the sort of I wouldn't call this movie self-serious, but it's incredibly shockingly sincere. Yes, and yes, I don't think he has that kind of sincerity about him that Burt Reynolds is a sort of guy kind of like what Bill Murray is in Ghostbusters, who's constantly kind of poking the edges of the screen yeah. to go, come on, guys, this is kind of fun, right? We're having fun here. And I think he has that tone and it would undermine the whole movie where Sean Connery is kind of all in. I mean, it's important to realize that Sean Connery at this point in his career had just left James Bond for the second time that he had left at the end of the the fourth or fifth James Bond movie. On a low, too. Yeah. Diamonds are forever, which I think is a... F- yeah, I, I like Diamonds are forever. Um, Tiffany it, Case is Jill St. John, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit there with that moment. My, my little squiggly line on the wall just moved. Yeah, no. Um, but the um, the thing with that movie is that he came back to James Bond after uh, the uh, George Lazenby movie was seen as a failure. It's my favorite James Bond movie, but it was seen as a failure. So they came running back to Sean Connery, who had sworn he would never come back and do another James Bond movie. He did one, and now he was like, I am fucking done. He was done being a movie star. He was done getting the sort of attention and having to do all the promotion stuff that he had to do being James Bond. He was done... You know, having to do interviews in other countries and getting all this attention. And he was just like, he hated that role by the time he was finished. So I look at Zardoz and I see him going, what is the least movie star role that I could take right now that I am never going to have to go on a late night fucking talk show to talk about Zardoz? That they're never going to be a major studio promotional push for Zardoz. I am not going to be swarmed by screaming girls for Zardoz. (laughs) And it's like, that's the, the hidden element. The thing that makes us remember this movie is not only is this a weird fucking thing, and there is no lack of, of late 60s, early 70s, weird, trippy sci-fi with just bizarre shit happening on screen, but how often does it star Sean Connery? Right, right. There's, there's, a, there's a through line that you draw between Zardoz and Highlander, and you're like, well, the thing about Sean Connery is that Sean Connery was totally okay at put blending his entire persona to something that might as well just been a spark, just been a fizzle of a movie. And then sometimes it's fucking Highlander, right? Right. Sometimes he does right. he he comes back triumphant in another thing and he's been like, oh shit, he was James Bond and now he's this and we love it. Well and I know? think yeah, yeah. And in Highlander he works so well because of the bravado he brings to Ramirez. Uh, there's a roguishness in there. Yeah, movie. yeah, and it's interesting. There's a to roguishness see him. in Zed too. Yeah, there is, right? there is, but it's, it's subdued. Quality. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely subdued. And I think, you know, I expect, 
I spent so much of this movie expecting him to be violent at the beginning, and he's not. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie does subvert your expectations in some really interesting ways. But I, I do feel like, yeah, I mean, Zardoz The immortals is about are more from, bloodthirsty than he is. Yeah, he absolutely, absolutely. And I think, and colder in a way, there's this scene where they're watching him, his memories, and they're like, oh, this is great. This is so much fun. Can what we see more of it? Can we see more I of it? I want to watch more. One of them says, but what about the suffering? And they go, oh, they don't feel things the way we, we do. We do, right? <laughs> right? And I, it is interesting to think that this is about, but he does, he does bond one more time, doesn't he? He comes back for Never Say Never Again, or is that- yeah. That was in the eighties. That is, and because that's with, um, uh, God, I, as a brief aside, that's due to the fact that Thunderball was originally conceived as a television movie, and then when they moved it, it was in development hell for so long that when they moved it to the big screen, the big screen, basically there was this big legal thing about the rights, and so the dude that wrote. That had the rights to the screenplay for the television adaptation basically got to make his movie. So he could talk about the characters in that movie, but he could not reference any other bigger parts of the James Bond lore. And so they made Never Say Never Again, which is a remake of Thunderball. Which is a remake of Thunderball, but both of worse which star Sean Connery. Yes, it, it's a worse in every <laughs> yeah. conceivable way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I look at this movie and I think I should talk a little bit about my personal history with it. This was a movie that I have a hard time being objective about. I have a hard time telling you if it's a good or bad movie because I really can't say. It's too tied up with a lot of memories. I was introduced to this movie about 20 years ago by my friend Tim Batson, who's one of our episode sponsors. Tim. I love you, Tim. He introduced this movie to me in the way that you kind of induct somebody into a secret society. Right. <laughs> that this was a secret that he knew of this strange artifact of the 1970s. And this movie kind of became a secret language that we had. It was like a shibboleth. It was uh, an in-joke. It was more than that. It was like our own little secret movie, a piece of pop culture that we shared with maybe one or two other people who seemed to enjoy it as much as we did. And it's hard for me to separate my feelings about this movie from that, that this was a movie where, you know, when I was 20, you'd say the gun is good and the penis is evil, or I will not go to second level. Oh, God. I love this movie in so many ways, and it's hard for me to separate it from that. Um, and it's still, unlike a lot of other things, that we live in an age where nerd culture is mainstream culture now. That uh, I love Lord of the Rings, but everyone loves Lord of the Rings. Right. I love Marvel superheroes, but everyone loves Marvel superheroes. And it's like this one little pocket of something that nobody is going to try to remake. Right. It's too weird. It's too strange. And it still kind of becomes my own little private thing. And when somebody else likes a thing like this, it's kind of like they're your secret friend. Like they flash the ring and you know they're part of your society. This is the handshake movie for you. This yeah. is the yeah, handshake movie. Like, like one thing that Tim and I did back in the day is that we discovered that Zardoz was a really good movie for getting people who came over and you were kind of tired of having company, of getting them to leave. Right. <laughs> That's and fair. And Tim discovered this, and he discovered that you somebody over, and you're just not in the mood for visitors. So you put on Zardoz, and uh, hey, let's watch a movie. Oh yeah, sure. 
And about five minutes in, that visitor would go, you know, I just remembered I've got this thing. Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, hey, that's fine. But occasionally, and this happened to us once with our friend Lynn, she loved it. <laughs> and it was like... It was like the family got a little bit bigger. Yes, it's the, I love litmus test movies, right? Where it's like showing them to somebody tells you a lot about them, right? The level of friendship that you might achieve. I can, I can see that. I don't think, again, when I say this is a bad movie, I think I mean in a way like this is not... I, I I always try to use that in as objective a way as I can, right? In terms of like style, filmmaking technique, things of that nature, narrative. I don't think that that ultimately, I don't think that should have any bearing on whether or not you like a movie. We talk about this on when we talk about Hudson Hawk, right? Like there are narrative problems with that movie. There are, there are script problems. There are, there is weirdness in that movie that I cannot justify, nor do I care to. I deeply love that movie. Yeah. It reminds me of, I watched it and I was like, oh, shit in movies doesn't have to make sense. That's fucking cool, right? Like, And I, I think that we as a culture concentrate way, way too much on good and bad rather than I enjoyed it or I didn't enjoy it. And it's the thing we used to say on View of the Gutters is you can't get mad at ice cream for not being potato chips. Yeah. Right? Like if what you want is potato chips, that's great. But you cannot get mad at ice cream for not being ice cream is ice cream. I, I guess I'm somewhat in between both of you. I want to say is so I don't have. I think I saw this when I first moved here to Washington. So I think I was probably like 25 when I saw it because I was. I, you'd heard the name, right? You knew Zardoz was a thing. You saw the head, saw the box at the the video video store. I think this is the perfect type of movie to play at a midnight screening at a repertory theater. And you could have an audience full of 20-year-olds who are normally the kind that are difficult to watch foreign or old movies with because they laugh right. They laugh inappropriately at stuff. This is the kind of movie that it's okay to laugh inappropriately yeah, I at agree. because it's so outrageous. And you're going to have fun. Yeah. And because I have no idea what the intended emotional response is to almost right. any yes. scene. Yes. So everything is appropriate. And I definitely find myself wondering, like, I watched this movie by myself. I think if I had had a few friends over, we had had a few drinks, it would have been a remarkably different experience. And again, I'm not saying I didn't like this movie. There was a lot I did like. I liked more about this movie than I expected to, which was a little weird for me. I just think that it's such... There are a reason that cult classic movies are cult classics, right? There, There's something in them that speaks to us. There's something in them that causes us to carry them forward and say, oh, have you, have you seen this? You haven't seen this? Oh, we got to watch this. Yeah. And like- It's like an STD that you pass around. It really is. I think like heavy, the original heavy metal is one of those, right? Mm -hmm. It has not aged well. The animation by today's standards is not great, but it is a movie that captures the feeling of a time and a place and a mindset, you know, when you're 12 years old and you're like, titties? <laughs> Drawn titties? R what? Rock and roll? Beheadings? Yeah, like, yes. there's just something about it that yeah, is I incredibly... didn't know they were allowed to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something about it that's so, like, moving, well, right? Yeah. This like... is the funny thing that I, th I think it was Zardoz is, is... I don't I don't think there's a single moment in Zardoz that has the they got away with something moment. 
Do you know what I mean? Like for the one th- probably to it this two of the things detriment is I don't think Zardoz is transgressive in, in such an extreme that it would be like oh my god the Catholic League of whoever is going to boycott this or whatever. I don't I don't think that would I end, doubt end up they've heard of this movie. Right. So it's kind of interesting that it gets to live in this void of itself being as how it's not as good enough of a movie sort of to be like oh this is going to be part of a retrospective and it's not controversial enough of a movie to be like you know oh the, b- people's grannies are going to be upset that this kind of movie is playing in their town so it's somewhere hovering in between yeah yeah when i think about i always feel like there are two reasons two main reasons that people say you got to see this movie mm-hmm. i think there's a type of person that wants to shock you and so they're going to show you something like kids which is not a fun movie to watch and is like a movie I watched once. I was like, I'm good with that. I'm never going to watch that again. Requiem for a Dream is another one. I think those are both Mm. movies you watch as teenagers and you're just like, I don't need to watch this again. You're like, it's good. We're good. But then there's, I think, movies like Zardoz, like Barbarella, like, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show where you're like, oh, this is going to be a night. Like we're gonna, you're gonna come over. We're gonna get some beers or some whatever. We're gonna get stoned. I think we just sold him on this because he just put this in the same category as Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, no, I didn't. So I think I think we have lifted collectively lifted your opinion of it. I didn't dislike it. You know, it's always when you're talking about a movie like this, it's always and you divorce yourself of the the good, the bad is a connection. Different chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. It's like. I didn't have a personal connection to this movie. So it's hard to start like you're looking for an A and it's like, well, where do you go? And what I was thinking about was that like, I don't necessarily know that this is a well-constructed film. I think parts of it certainly are, but like there is a sincerity to it. There is, it is genuine in what is trying to do. It does not feel self-serious. And if it did, it would be, fucking garbage that's what makes this such an interesting experience for me because i didn't know how i'd come out of this because this is an experiential movie to me it's never been a movie that i've ever tried to analyze with the left half of my brain it's never been a movie that i've ever tried to categorize (laughs) as good or bad it's always just a thing that i experienced and i enjoy that experience and if somebody came at me with like a clipboard with all the things that are bad about it. I don't think I'd be able to defend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but I, I don't think you need to. This is the most thought I've ever given this movie before. <laughs> is this conversation? And um, I think that's a good place to answer to ask Joe the question. Yeah, well, that's the, the question. question. Yeah, I think we may have been having this conversation. Right. But is Zardoz worth your time? Oh God, yes. Uh, no, absolutely. Like. This I this is an experiential movie. You should absolutely sit down and watch it. You should get some friends together. You should you should watch it with them and take it as seriously as it takes itself, right? Like just kind <laughs> of point. go into it and experience it and it will allow you to experience it and you'll probably have a good time. Like there are so many worse movies to what like I I look at this and I'm like there are so many movies that I would watch Zardoz over 
any day of the week because I know that there's I might see something else that's interesting or might like at the end of the day, John Borman, still a fan, like a great director, made some great movies, made some real stinkers too. The Exorcist 2, not a good movie by any chance of the movie and not interesting either. So I think that we definitely know he could make worse movies. But this movie, it sticks to what it's trying to do. And there's some really like the scenes where he's pulling friend around like he's a horse. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, he runs into the like he literally runs into the, the restaurant where the renegades are. And he does a, a 360 in the cart and then he runs back out again. I'm like. I don't know what the fuck this movie is saying here. Like, I'm sure there's something to be said there about like he's a beast of burden, but he also can talk and like there's a an awareness that he has that a beast of burden wouldn't. I like I don't know what he's trying to say, but you know what? I don't I don't mind it too much. Like I'm I'm enjoying watching Sean Connery pull this guy around like he's a fucking pony. <laughs> and yeah, no, absolutely, it's worth your time. I would absolutely recommend watching it cult classic it er, it earns it i mean it's got guns and drugs and rape in it and yet somehow <laughs> oh my god and yet somehow by the end you're kind of like huh, i liked it you know yeah, when, you're willing to forgive its excesses <laughs> yeah and i will say i think that the i everything you need to know about this movie is is summed up in that end that mass shooting right where it's like i i think a director that was not so set on his vision would have been like oh no we can we can do this differently we can do this we can do that but it's like nah y'all wanted to die here it comes yeah and the, here the it comes exterminators charge in and it's like it was like when everyone was trying to get like a, a tickle me elmo yeah. <laughs> except what they want is a bullet it's like black friday at walmart but the <laughs> thing that's on sale is bullets yes. yeah and they're like no no and the guy's like bleeding on the ground no please be too me yeah, and it's yeah again a reversal of expectations that's really they're interesting running towards the mass shooters begging <laughs> oh my god that's that for me, that that's where it kind of comes down to is this movie is burned into my brain with so many indelibly weird images. Yes. That yes. I forget the name of coworkers I had 15 years ago, but I will never forget this movie. I I'll tell you something. The last shot of this movie with them just oh, sitting yeah. together and turning into skeletons I, at the I end. I think that is masterfully done. I think it is a beautiful way to end this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it really says a lot about this movie that that works so well, because I think that maybe it did get my butt. Now I'm wondering, maybe, maybe it did. Maybe I'm talking myself into buying this movie. Maybe I need to watch it again. Get this on Blu-ray. I, I might. I mean, if I'm going to buy it, I'm going to buy the best version of it that I can get. But like, yeah, I just think that there are so, and there are a lot of shots like that, that are just like, wow, that was really artfully framed and artfully done and then something happens like friend only being half aged and you're like what the fuck i desperately want more people to watch this movie if only so i can have more people that if i make a reference to it will understand what the fuck i'm talking I mean, about hey, this is a movie that as soon as you see it you want to talk to other people about if it. we could get it so that at the next uh radio versus the martians meetup Everybody sure. greeted each other by saying guns are the guns are good, penises are evil. <laughs> I would be fully on board with that. In fact, we could just shorten it to penises are evil. The penis is evil. This movie is <laughs> singularly <laughs> responsible for me loving Beethoven's Seventh Symphony. Oh, I, took, yeah. I took notes. I was taking notes and like 
I was talking about it with Kirby and she saw my notes and she was like, all I saw was penis equal bad. And I was like, <laughs> uh, to be fair, I wrote gun equals good above that. Yeah. And then I also talked about the fact that I'm, yeah, I'm almost positive John Borman directed Point Blake, which is essentially, uh, it's a- um, Lee Marvin? It's, it's Lee Marvin. Yeah. And the it's, Richard Stark it's, one. It's Richard Stark, who was Donald E. Westlake, writing about Parker, who was a character that would later be played by Mel Gibson mm-hmm. in the movie Payback, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the same story. And I love that movie, even though I don't give a shit about Mel Gibson anymore, because he's- yeah, a, a unforgivable. Person. Yeah, unforgivable. But, but um, this movie I, is hypnotic. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And I think, I think it is a testament to the. Apparently, part of the problem with it is that John Borman was self admittedly on so many drugs that he kind of lost the plot a few times, and that's the reason why so many elements don't work. But you know what? Honestly, those drugs are on the screen. They <laughs> are absolutely. They are one hundred. He got his money's worth. And honestly, I think that is the difference between, I think without that, you end up with kind of a middling, like not like really kind of unremarkable movie that kind of falls into pre-Star Wars sci-fi. Agreed. And I think it would have been lost to the dustbin of history. I think it is all the idiosyncrasies of this film that really make it stand out. So, Joe... I want to thank you for joining this conversation. Ab, with thank us. you yeah, for giving Joe. me an opportunity. I don't know that I would have watched this movie if I hadn't needed to for this show, and I'm glad I did. Well, glad to have you on for We've this. We finally converted him to the Order of Zardoz. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Preddy, um, from the late and dearly missed View from the Gutters comic book podcast. Are there any projects you're working on right now you want to try to no, pitch? No, uh, things have been really busy this last year. I, I, At the beginning of the year, there was a bunch I wanted to do, and then I started a new job, and then I got a promotion in that new job, and uh, then my life situation kind of changed. And so maybe in the new year, there's a couple things I'm, I'm playing around with, but no, right now, uh, no, like, not really. I'm like... Just kind of out there watching, trying to watch movies and find people to talk about movies with so that Kirby doesn't stab me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's it. That's it for now. Well, thank you. I do this with you guys. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Thank you. And a big special thank you to our episode sponsors. Thank you to Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Dan Neidecker, Zuri Russell, Sterling Taylor, Wim the Belgian, Misa the Barbarian, Jim Newman, Carol and Dave Brulette, Calzone, Matt Weber, Kalen, Jeff Nathan, Christopher Allen, McDowell Horn, B. Campbell, and Splurbs. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Uh, if you want to become an episode sponsor, please go to our website, radioversusthemartians.com. There's a big green button on the right side of the screen, or if you're on your phone at the very bottom. Otherwise, folks, we will catch you next month. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com.
I am Arthur Frayne, and I am Zardoz. I have lived 300 years, and I long to die, but death is no longer possible. I am immortal. I present now my story, full of mystery and intrigue, rich in irony, and most satirical. It is set deep in a possible future, so none of these events have yet occurred. But they may. Be warned, lest you end as I. In this tale, I am a fake god by occupation and a magician by inclination. Merlin is my hero. I am the puppet master. I manipulate many of the characters and events you will see. But I'm invented too for your entertainment and amusement. And you, poor creatures, who conjured you out of the clay? <laughs> Is God in show business too? <laughs>